This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. It is the eve of St. Patrick's Day, and it does seem that even if you're not Irish per se, St. Patrick's Day brings out a little bit of Irish in us all. And while I have no interest in green beer, I do have an interest in the green of the garden. To celebrate this, today I am so pleased to be joined by Fanula Fallon, a horticulturist, garden writer, garden designer, organic flower farmer, and gardening correspondent for the Irish Times since 2011. Her first book, photographed by her husband, Richard Johnston, is titled From the Ground Up, How Ireland is Growing Its Own. It was published by Collins Press in 2012. Fanula joins us today via Skype from her office in Ireland. Welcome, Fanula. Hello, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me on your show. So you have this really interesting background of uh, a lot of family members involved in fine arts and the literary scene in Ireland. Tell us a little bit about your childhood and what first brought you to the garden or an interest in the natural history of Ireland, Fanula. Um, yeah, as you say, I, I come from, funny enough, a kind of a fine art literary background originally. So um, I'm the daughter of two journalists. I, I'm a large, from a large family, one of seven children, and both my parents were journalists. And both wrote for the Irish Times. My father was um, the kind of chief literary critic and art critic for the Irish Times. And my mother was a, was a journalist who contributed to the Irish Times for many years. I also met my grandfather, um, Porrick Fallon, was a, a well-regarded poet and a playwright. And um, three of my uncles were journalists. And I also have, you know, artists and painters and sculptors in the family. Another uncle who was a sculptor and, and an aunt who was who was a, a fine artist. So, um, yeah, I came from that background and it was a funny... I suppose, seeing into horticulture from, from that. But um, I think probably for me, one of the things that, that kind of grew a love of plants me from an early age was was growing up in the country. Um, I grew up in a very rural, very pastoral part of, of Ireland um, in, in West Wicklow, an area of kind of small farms and, and, and valleys, river valleys, and all of it kind of, you know, you know defined by the Wicklow Mountains. And um, as children, we used to just kind of wander in the fields and go for long walks and you know, make kind of makeshift rafts and float down the, the little river below us. And uh, I suppose it just it kind of soaked this love of, of the natural world right into me from a very early age. Even though I, I initially started out in, in the world of fine arts, I eventually came to horticulture um, in my mid-20s. So I, I studied philosophy and classical civilization in Trinity College and, um, you know, graduated from there after a four-year degree. And then I went to work in the Irish Museum of Modern Art. It was just recently founded at that part. And um, the Irish Museum of Modern Art, for people who don't know it, is housed in this incredible classical building, which was known as the Royal Hospital Comenum. And it was uh, built in the late 1600s as a home for um, British soldiers, retired British soldiers. And when I went to work there, it was this kind of very vibrant, you know, new art museum. And I remember I, I used to just stare out the window and look at all the gardeners working in the, the formal gardens below. And I, I really pined for being outdoors. I pined, you know, to be someone of the outdoors who worked outdoors. And uh, after about three years of working in the arts and, you know, being part of that world and, and coming from that world, I decided to go back and study horticulture in the National Botanic Gardens in Glasnevin, where I enrolled in my, my mid-20s and, and spent three years there studying horticulture. You have written about the sort of status of how gardening as a profession is seen. Talk a little bit about that, Fanula. I think 
you know, particularly maybe in, in Ireland, I think, you know, as, as a, a young country in terms of being a, you know, a young independent country, I think maybe still our attitude towards, you know, gardening is, is still kind of entrenched in a kind of traditional attitude of it being this very kind of manual work and, and being slightly looked down upon. I suppose I came to gardening. I was very lucky because my father was the literary editor of the Irish Times for a long time. I grew up immersed, you know, in, in the world of literature and there were books on every bookshelf in every room in our house. And from when I was a small child right up and, you know, all my life I've, I've been surrounded by books and I could just pluck books from the bookshelf and read them whenever I wanted to. And so to me, gardening was this thing that was both literary and, you know, physical in terms of you, you had to work outside and, you know, in all, you know, kind of manners of, of weather or whatever. But it was also a very, to me, a very creative process. And I always remember the turning point came in my um, my late teens and I remember taking this book off the bookshelf. It was called The Education of a Gardener by an English um, amazing garden designer, incredibly influential 20th century garden designer by the name of Russell Page. Mm. And it was the first time I ever thought, wow, okay, you know, gardening is as much an art form in its highest, finest sense. It is a creative endeavor. It is, and you know, the way Page writes about the art of gardening was to me so seductive and so intriguing and, you know, so informed. And it was, it was like somebody had kind of flicked a switch and I thought, okay, this is, it was like a magical moment. I'll always look back on it and think, okay, that's the moment where I realized, you know, gardening kind of, as you say, it straddles those two worlds yeah. in, a, in a fantastic way, I think. So you go out there and you get dirty and you work in the garden, but it's also a, kind of an intellectual pursuit and a creative pursuit for, for so many people. Yeah. It is actually this beautiful trifecta of it is an art form, it is a science, it is a craft, yeah. and um, and especially when it's done at its very best, right? So Very definitely, yeah, yeah. And I, I give a talk called The Education of a Gardener, and I talk about how gardening, you need to know so much to be a good gardener. You know, yeah. And that's really, the older I get, the more I garden, the more I appreciate how many, you know, fields of knowledge feed into being a good gardener. You, you need to know about, for example, you know, taxonomy, you know, just to be able to understand how plants are classified in order to be able to, to practice good crop rotation, for example. Right. You, know, you need to be able to, you know, know about good plant propagation, you know, just how to divide plants, how to grow them from seed, how to you know, grow them by division or by cuttings. And the more I, I garden, the more I think, wow, it is, it, it is such an intriguing you know, job, and but one that demands so much of us in so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Th- those are generalizations that are absolutely true here as well, that there is this split between how gardening is viewed from different perspectives and that there are too many places in which it is underrated and under underappreciated. Yeah. So you have had an incredible range of experience being, you know, training at the Irish National Botanic Gardens. You are the gardening correspondent for The Irish Times. You have written for The Irish Garden magazine, and you explore things such as Irish heritage plants. And the subject of your first book is on how there is this groundswell movement of Irish gardeners taking on local production vegetable gardens and local food and local flowers. While it is ridiculous to think that there is one ideal Irish garden, I'm going to ask you that question. Like, Are there things that would characterize in your mind uh, an Irish garden? I think the notion of Irishness, is it's funny, it's it's not a concrete one, it's more an abstract one. And I think it's shaped by our climate. People often, in their mind's eye, they, they associate it with, with the British garden. And in fact, the Irish garden is one that enjoys, in general, a, a milder climate, mm-hmm. a, a kind of you know, wetter climate. 
And there is this kind of abundant, lush, verdant growth that I certainly associate with, with the Irish garden. It is, and a wildness, you know, I mean, I, I know William Robinson is, is a character that many people will know that notion of the Irish garden, you know, it influenced his style of gardening. And it's that sense of slightly unfettered, you know, kind of, you know, unstuffy. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably more the sense of, of, of what an Irish garden is about. It's, it's a garden, I suppose, even geographically, where Ireland is placed. We're on the edge of, the, of Europe. We're the last little tiny, you know, country between the Atlantic and America. And, and it gives us a certain kind of, um, I suppose, a certain kind of lawlessness mm-hmm. in a good way, mm-hmm. where we're willing to break the rules. We're not so confined by history and that said I think you know absolutely the Irish gardening um, tradition is usually influenced by British rule I mean you know the Anglo-Normans um, colonized Ireland in the in the early 1100s and from then really until you know 1920 we were under British rule so I, that legacy of which is a great legacy of, of great British gardening has definitely left its mark but I think it's become this kind of wonderful hybrid mm-hmm. it's this kind of wildness that's been allied to that your British tradition of gardening that has you know, created a, a kind of unique Irish garden. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. On the eve of St. Patrick's Day, we're joined today by Fanula Fallon, gardener and gardening correspondent for the Irish Times since 2011, exploring a little bit about the history and culture of gardening in Ireland. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. We're back after a break to hear more about Irish gardening from Fanula Fallon. Fanula is an avid home gardener and the gardening correspondent for the Irish Times. Welcome. So tell us a little bit about your garden. Okay, so at the moment, I suppose, a huge amount of my energies are being focused in this flower garden that myself and my husband, Richard, established. Um, We started to establish it in the autumn of 2015. And to put it again in, in, I suppose, in historical perspective, um, our, our flower garden is, our little flower farm is, is, is established in a, what is a Victorian wall garden. And for people who don't know what a Victorian wall garden is, um, Ireland has about 8,000 wall gardens in various states of repair throughout the country. And typically they're associated with these old historical domains or houses. You know, some of the wall gardens in Ireland would be, would date to the 1600s, as far back as that. Some would be as large as 10 acres, you know, but typically most of them would be Victorian era. So kind of, you know, 19th century and usually around about two to three acres in size. Wonderful enclosed spaces. The one that where we have our flower farm, it belongs to a friend of ours, a very old family friend. So it's again this big Victorian mansion set in the wilds of West Wicklow. And from these high brick walls, they're typically about 20 feet high. The lady who owns the garden still maintains one half of this wall garden. And she wanted somebody to use the other space, which was this kind of slightly, well, definitely neglected, south-facing, sunny slope of this this wall garden. Fantastic soil because, like all wall gardens, it's you know many years in cultivation before it was abandoned. So this wonderfully fertile soil, mm-hmm. you know, perfect aspect. It's an organic um, flower farm. We've brought it back using only organic methods. So at the moment, it's full of just lots of baby plants and little seedlings going in over the next few months. And, you know, soon we'll be planting sweet pea and, you know, there's lots of perennials going in and roses and stuff. And, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a journey. It's been a fascinating you know, adventure for us so far. And what compelled you and your husband to take this on? As you said, we wrote this book called, um, you know, From the Ground Up, How Ireland is Growing Its Own, where we... We drove around Ireland um, from there with, with twin um, little baby sons at the time that we brought in the car with us wherever we drove. I, my memory of this book is punctured by 
you know, images in my head of my twin boys kind of lying on the ground in old orchards and in fantastical kitchen gardens around the country. But we, we learn so much about growing, about growing plants as crops. And, you know, I suppose, again, I talked about Ireland and Irish gardening has been this hybrid. And what was fascinating for me in writing this book is that we wrote about 16 different gardeners and so many of them weren't Irish. Mm. You know, so many of them had come to Ireland in, in search of a different kind of lifestyle. And, you know, we, we've interviewed lots of different kinds of gardeners and, and growers. And we, we kind of learned so much about the skills of growing and about how to produce crops. And then a short while after that, one of the men that we covered, one of the gardeners that we covered in the book, um, um, the former Minister for Horticulture, Trevor Sargent, who would also be very well known in Ireland as a proponent of kind of, you know, green gardening, of organic gardening. Mm-hmm. He... Um, he got in contact with me and, and said, would, would I like to come down and, and visit these friends of his who had just set up this little flower farm of their own mm. down in Leitrim? And they were probably one of the very first flower farms in Ireland. You're talking about 2012. Mm-hmm. You know, the flower farming movement was really just beginning and is still really only beginning to take root in Ireland. Whereas I think in England and in America, it's, it's probably a bit more advanced. But for us, it kind of knitted into so many different things we wanted to do. We wanted our own business. We wanted to grow something. We wanted to do something that was creative. I, as I said, I, I come from a, an arty background. You know, I, kind of, <laughs> you know, I, I love beauty and right. you know, beauty in all forms. And you know, I, I'm just somebody who has always loved flowers. And I, I loathe the modern you know, cut flower that's bought from the local garage and is so lacking in soul and life. And mm-hmm. to me, this was such a kind of a different kind of, of, of way to, to produce beauty and something that tied in with many my skills as a grower and a gardener. Mm-hmm. And also my interest in the arts and the crafts. Mm-hmm. And do you see this as being, you know, sort of a trend, a significant trend in Ireland, the way we are definitely seeing it as trends here, this idea of this make trying to make a difference with these things that we love? I think it does. And um, one of the, 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 the gardeners that we wrote about in the book and we photographed was a man called Michael Viney, a, a really influential figure in, in terms of, Irish environmentalism, and, and he's been a again. He's funny enough. He's been a a columnist in the Irish Times for the last forty years. I knew Michael when I was a small child. He was friendly, very friendly with my parents. And as a small child, Michael gave up his job in the Irish Times and sold his house in Dublin and moved off to this little, you know, windy, exposed acre of land in a cottage in the west of Ireland and wanted to become self-sufficient. So he would have been, I suppose, one of the first people, you know, intrigued and and kind of you know, interest in this idea of, of self-sufficiency. And and I think anybody who's tried it knows that it's a tough oh, graft. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's lots of mud and, you know, blisters on the hands and yeah. late nights and early mornings. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, Michael's just a wonderful writer. He's just one that, you know, man gifted with a, with an a absolute natural gift for, for words. And uh, remember as a small child just sitting there in this little, you know, acre of land, you know, surrounded by young, you know, chickens and they were planting their first vegetable garden. And I think Ireland has moved on a lot since then, since the 1970s. That idea, that interest in self-sufficiency and also the idea in organic gardening. I mean, I think that's been a huge thing. People have really mm-hmm. are interested in the provenance of their food. You know, where does it come from? You mm-hmm. know, what is it sprayed with? How many air miles has it travelled? You know, you know, why can't we grow more food at home in Ireland? You know, and the idea of seasonality has been such a big thing. I think people are really, you know, they're drawn to this increasingly. And there's a sense of, of it's not just about it being seasonal it's it's about I suppose about eating and food and appreciating flowers that are of a season or of your country mm-hmm. that are true to a particular place and true to a particular time so that brings me to native plants this idea of 
you know, is there a movement for um, growing awareness or protection or advocacy for the native plants of Ireland, of which there are a great many? I don't think that movement is, is anything like what it is in America. Okay. Um, I, I think there's definitely a huge appreciation of, of native flora of Ireland and there's huge interest in it. But I don't think the same sense of um, Ireland has, has been part of that European tradition of, you know, always welcoming the newest introduction and in plant, you know, whether it came from, you know, the Himalayas or, you know. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I, I definitely think that the Irish native flora has enormously influenced our style of gardening, even if at a subliminal level. I mean, mm-hmm. I think for me, for example, one of the things I always think in terms of native planting is the Irish fern. Mm. I mean, Ireland's landscape is so defined by these incredible variety of species of wild ferns. There's so many different types. You know, there's rare types like the the little Killarney fern and 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 much more common types, just like the the native kind of bracken that you know sweeps in huge swathes across these kind of boggy mountainsides and you know. So many, you know, the royal fern, the Osmunda regalis, which grows, you know, in, in the wild and in the milder parts of Kerry. And it, it, it's interesting, again, from a, a point of view of, of just plant zones, it's, it's worth saying that the Irish, you know, our zones, our growing zones go from an eight right up to a 10. So around the mm. fringes of the southwest and west of the coast, it's incredibly mild. You get these plants thriving along mm. these areas that would never, ever grow inland. But they're like, there's almost no frost around the, these edges of Ireland. And... Yeah, and the the ferns and the orchids and the I mean the diversity yeah. there of coastal you know loving plants is is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It is. It is. So, if you as a as a thoughtful, literary, active gardener were to recommend you know I don't know three to five fruits, vegetables, flowers that would embody. Ireland or Irish gardens that you think that if people wanted to, you know, add them to their garden, these are the ones you would recommend. What would those be, Fanula? I think one of them would have to be, from an historical point of view, would have to be the Irish U. You know, the Irish U is this kind of um, columnar or kind of more, you know, upright version of the normal U. So its its Latin name is Taxus Peccata Fastigiata. And it was discovered by this Fermanagh um, uh, farmer, I think his name was George Willis, back in the late 1700s. He was walking the mountains, the kind of hillsides around his his, his, his um, farm, and he came across these two young trees, which struck him as being unusual and that they were particularly upright. So he dug them ho- up and he brought them home and he planted one in his own garden and he gave one to his um, landlord. I think it was the Earl of Antrim was his landlord, who lived in this you know big place called Florence Court. Anyway, George Willis's um, tree died, but the tree he gave to his landlord flourished. And by the 18, mid-1800s, you know, more and more horticulturists were becoming fascinated by this tree. And as a result, people started taking cuttings of it. And all the Irish ewes going around the world are all descendants of this one mother tree. So it, it has this incredible story. It's a bit... In ways, it was, so it parallels Irish emigration. Right. This idea of this one tree that has sent its young all over the world. Yeah. You know, it, it is everywhere. And there are millions and millions of Irish ewes, all of which are, you know, vegetal, vegetably reproduced from this one mother tree. And that, to me, is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, that aside, I think definitely daffodils. Um, and again, I know that there is a great tradition of um, daffodil breeding in America and that there's been a huge exchange and, and of knowledge and information over the 
the, the last century or more. And so many Irish cultivars have gone on to, to be grown in America. But um, we have this great tradition of, of breeding daffodils. Daffodils love the cool, mild Irish climate. They, they thrive here. And so many great Irish breeders from the north, you know, people like Guy Wilson and Brian Duncan, and from the south as well, and, you know, from Waterford and Cork. And there's so many historical cultivars of Irish daffodils. I, I remember it only really hit me when I, I was on a tour of, of, of the gardens of Netherlands a couple of years ago and I visited this little amazing place called um, Horses Bulborum. It's a living museum of bulbs and it's maintained by um, by people who've worked in the in the industry. And it's just this fascinating place to go to. And and amongst it, were, like, I, we were supposed to be there actually to, to see all the tulips, but it had been a very, very cold spring. So none of the tulips were out. But the treat was that we got to see all these daffodils and there were so many Irish varieties there. And, you know, these historical Irish varieties going back right back to the Victorian era, like little Rip Van Winkle, this little starry mm. dwarfed um, daffodil that was bred by a Cork nurseryman called William Baylor Hartford. And so many since then. And, and there's been this, I think even in Ireland, there's been a, a kind of a reawakening to how much you know, wonderful old Irish daffodil cultivars have, are hanging on in historic gardens and are being rediscovered and preserved now. And to me, that's definitely kind of, in a way, a, a defining um, Irish plant as well. Nice. Um, another one would be potatoes. <laughs> I know people, you know, to me, potatoes and the Irish, it is a fundamental horticultural connection. And I remember writing again an, um, a column for the Irish Times and I was chatting with my father at the time. My father's now in his early 80s. And I was asking about what varieties of potatoes he remembered growing when he was a young man. And he named all these varieties that I didn't know. And then he said to me, you know, your, your father, your, your grandfather wrote about um, potatoes in, in a play that he wrote for the, um, it was broadcast by the Radio Television, the, the Broadcast Authority in Ireland back in the 1950s. And I said, no way. And he said, yeah. And I, I went and looked up this this play and he'd mentioned all this again, these other historic varieties of, of potatoes. And it's kind of like they chronicle a certain era. So for anybody of a certain age group, they will name a variety of potato and, and it's kind of it's kind of typical of their age group in a way. So it's fascinating. Older people, for example, in Ireland will grow a variety called Queens. They call it Queens. Actually, it's technically, it's called British Queens, but Irish people don't call it British Queens. They just call it <laughs> Queens <laughs> for obvious British For reasons. obvious reasons, yes. Yeah. And it was actually bred by, by the Scottish man again back in the, in the late 1800s. But... You know, my grandfather wrote this this play. I'll, well, I read you other, just little lines from. There's just one little short lines that to me are kind of, you know, very evocative of, of of the era he was talking about. So he's writing about, you know, remembering potatoes as a child, and he says, "Potatoes, curs, pinks, the royal champion, in rows, lines, little trees, littering below the pole of light, the penny bright fruit, of the fierce dark clays." I remember reading those lines. It was like yeah. you know, going back in time, and suddenly you know, you know I was very young when my grandfather died. But to me, it was this kind of very visceral connection between mm. different generations and the sense of you know being passed down the lines. And potatoes are one of those vegetables that Irish gardeners all grow, and especially the older um, generation, because the older generation would have grown up in a time when everybody had a kitchen garden, you yeah. know, where certainly everybody had large families and food was grown and produced for, for eating. Yeah. And that tradition died out um, in the kind of, you know, latter half of the 20th century and it's coming back now. So there's all that lore and, and you know, tradition associated with it. You know, we went out and, and again, and another time we went out to um, Inishmore, this, this, these islands off the coast, the west coast of Ireland. 
we interviewed this old Aran Island um, fisherman come farmer. And he showed us how to build the traditional lazy beds, how the islanders do these lazy beds. So they're basically growing potatoes on sand. This part of, of the islands, they don't really have much topsoil at all. They have this very thin, sandy layer of, you know, somewhere between sand and barely soil. And it's, it covers this, this kind of bedrock, this kind of limestone pavement, which mm-hmm. is typical you know, geologically to the area. So the way they are able to grow food is they, they, the islanders go down and they harvest large quantities of fresh seaweed. Now, they have what are called turbary, right? So they don't even harvest just, you know, seaweed washed up in a storm. They go down, they actually harvest it with an old scythe and they would collect it and they would bring it up and they would use it like this um, mulch along the beds. And the seaweed has this miraculous ability to, you know, you produce fertility in the soil and, and allow them to grow crops they would never be able to grow. Mm. So, you know, to me, that tradition of potato growing is, is, is even, it's embedded, it, it still survives in, in all these little island communities around the fringes of Ireland again. And they would all, again, have their own particularly favourite varieties they would, that they would order from the local co-op mm-hmm. every spring and would, you know, be really faithful in terms of the ones that they would grow. And, and I suppose it's just, it's just a crop that, you know, much as... It, it, it's kind of fallen slightly out of fashion with younger Irish people and is, is only beginning to regain, I suppose, its, its fashionability as people realise it is a crop that kind of defines the Irish kitchen garden in so many ways and I suppose defines the Irish in terms of the famine and, you know, the, the poor, much maligned lumper potato, and, mm-hmm. which was a variety that was, you know, blamed for you know, being particularly vulnerable to the blight. Mm-hmm. But I actually grew the lumper potato myself as well. Uh, a nursery man up in Donegal sent me down some um, tubers of the original variety, and I grew them a few years ago. And I was really curious to know, you know, is the lumper variety this famous famine potato as revolting as people claimed it was? And <laughs> it's not at all, actually. It's quite a tasty potato. <laughs> Thank you so much for being with us today, Fanula. I so appreciate your, your sharing these narratives. You're welcome. It's very nice to, to talk to you. And have a very happy St. Patrick's Day. And you too, you too. Thank you, Jennifer. Fanula Fallon is a horticulturist, garden writer, garden designer, organic flower farmer, and the gardening correspondent for the Irish Times since 2011. Working in partnership with her photographer husband, Richard Johnston, she's also contributed regularly to a variety of garden magazines, including The Irish Garden, Garden Heaven, and The English Garden. In 2016, the couple established an organically managed cut flower farm in a large Victorian walled garden near their home in County Wicklow. Fanula and Richard's first book, From the Ground Up, How Ireland is Growing Its Own, was published by Collins Press in 2012. If you're interested in specific Irish gardens to visit, make sure to go to this week's audio extra with Fanula as she provides us a beautifully descriptive list of gardens to visit in Ireland. For both this audio extra and this week's audio archive, or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram and Facebook. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Thank you for listening. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and jewelgarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. 
Until next week, happy St. Patrick's Day and enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.